Matthew 19. This is the chapter we're up to in our evening service. Matthew 19. We'll just read a few verses, then we'll go through the verses that are listed on the bulletin at the back. If you have don't have a bulletin, probably good to get one. And there's 11 points that are on the back, and we'll be making comments a few on each of those. Before I start, I do have a book here, written by a chap from Perth that uh, doesn't print it anymore, but I've got a few of these spare. A biblical Examination of Divorce and Remarriage. Um, and the sermon tonight is not taken from there, but it'll have many of the aspects from this portion, this uh, little booklet. And uh, very, a lot of them are big and thick and heavy, but this is fairly brief. So I think we have about 10 of those that I've run off. So if anyone would like one, there they are. Matthew. 19. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coasts of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. And the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife. They twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more two twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. It's really straightforward, isn't it? To the point the Lord was. And they said unto him, and they start muddying the waters now, or trying to. Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement? And just, like, the, the trouble is tonight is to get through what we've got. <laughs> this is usually done in a, um, not a month of Sundays, but two months of Sundays. <laughs> so we're just going a little point at a time, whereas two points would probably be a sermon for each. But here... The temptation is, and I'm going to see, I have to face it. Moses then commanded, never misquote scripture. Just one word out of place can change everything. And they did that right there. He did not command in Deuteronomy 24. And that's where they had that wrong. It, to give a writing of divorcement, he permitted, but did not give permission. It was not a command to give a writing of divorcement, to put her away. He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning, back to the law of first mention, it was not so. I love what the Lord did. He went back to the scriptures, didn't he? Even the Lord, he's honoured his word. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, Except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her who is put away, committeth adultery. His disciples say unto him, If the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. But he said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying. And it's, it's very pertinent to notice the reaction of the disciples when they heard what he said. 
they knew what he meant. And that's why they reacted that way. All men cannot receive this, said the Lord, saying, save them who, to whom it is given, for there are some eunuchs. And so what he's saying, singleness, remaining unmarried, is what it's about. And this is why he expanded this to them. There are some eunuchs who were so born from their mother's womb. There are some eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are other eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. We could almost put Paul down there. <laughs> he that is able to receive it, let him receive it. That's, if that's where your gift is and that's what you can do, do it. Because that's what God is going to bring God glory. Let's pray before we start. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God that has been given and that, dear Lord Jesus, you used to refute those that opposed you and tried to trap you whilst you were here. And I pray, Lord, that we might have grace and mercy and understanding as we read through the scriptures tonight in these portions of the precious word of God. And Lord, that we can stand solidly on the word tonight for your glory and praise and let us do it until you come, as we've just sung. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, the following portions of scripture, now these passages that we're looking at tonight, I've looked at multiple times and before God, to whom I must give an answer, I've come to the same conclusions, whether it be at Bible college when this started and looking into these things, because at home I can say we didn't talk uh, in my day, in our family, divorce wasn't talked about. It wasn't a problem in churches, was it, for those that were around in those days? It was very odd. And uh, we have come to the same conclusions every time. And in the process of coming to those conclusions, I've lost friends and family as a result. And it's not that I enjoy that at all. And due to the prolific number of people affected by divorce, division, desertion, adultery, fornication, temptation and remarriage, it's urgent to call attention to the scripture and what it says in our day. Because as we know, 50% of marriages end in divorce in our country, almost that many. And this affects a lot of people. It's not easy. The effects are upon us. I'm sure that you're aware of that and you know people and you maybe have been a part of this situation. Um, well, we could draw right now on our news. Second in charge of the country, Barnaby Joyce. That he's going through, he's going through this through what he has done and his wife has very good reason to be very upset. And Fancy having it all over the news every day. I know that you're just pulling, and the, and the, th the girls. The four girls, isn't it, he has? Four girls. There, and the youngest 15 going through this. It, it affects, affects people, it affects you and me. And so with the number of people, the number of marriages that are ending in divorce, the people that are forming second marriages, and third marriages, 
uh, everywhere. And so it has affected you in some way already, and it will in the future affect us even more. As we are going in our Wednesday night study in through the book of Ephesians, and I'm ahead, Ephesians chapter 5. And we, we won't be dealing with that one tonight, but mention it before we start. As we look at that and the meaning of that and, and how it has to do with Christ and his church that he is married to. That is another important one that we don't even have mentioned here tonight. That is that we are married to the Lord. If we allow divorce and remarriage, we allow also, we have to allow the, that we don't have eternal security. We can be discarded by the Lord if we go and do the wrong thing and other things that come from that. Remember that. We don't have eternal security if we allow for these things in this situation. Now to come to the biblical view, I trust that you follow us through of marriage and divorce and remarriage. We'll look at the scriptures. And as I said, we'd take a month of Sundays if we did every portion, no, two months of Sundays, which is the different studies I've heard, whether it be on tape or books I've read, that's what about takes, about six to eight weeks to cover it in detail. And we're just going to take snippets so there'll be a lot of things unsaid tonight. First, first portion, if we could turn to them as we go through them, Luke chapter 16 and verse 18. And we'll be picking a portion, a few verses out of, say, Matthew particularly, and then going to others and then coming back to Matthew on different occasions and Deuteronomy as well. But Luke chapter 16 and verse 18. It reads there, Whosoever putteth away, and that is divorce, divorces his wife, and marrieth another, committeth adultery, and whosoever marrieth her, that is put away from her husband, committeth adultery. And so this verse shows that Jesus does not recognize divorce as terminating a marriage in God's sight. This is the Lord Jesus speaking here. And the reason a second marriage is called adultery is because the first one is still considered valid. So Jesus is taking a stand against the Jewish culture in which all divorce was considered to carry the right to remarriage with it. And Jesus was not agreeing with the culture of his day. And we, <laughs> folk, we cannot interpret the scripture from our culture. We have to do vice versa. <laughs> we have to tell the culture from the scriptures what is right. The second half of this verse shows that not merely the divorcing man is guilty of adultery when he remarries, but also any man who marries a divorced woman. This is what God saith. And since there are no exceptions mentioned in this verse, and since Jesus is clearly rejecting the common culture of his day of divorce as including the right of remarriage, the first readers of the Gospel of Luke, when they got this and, and read, well, when the Lord taught it, we say way back before Luke wrote it, would not be able to argue for exceptions except on the basis of their culture and what their rabbis taught them. 
the second portion of Scripture. So that is very a clear-cut one in Luke 16, 18. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10 and verse 11. Mark 10 and verse 11. And what we are establishing until we get to the 11th point, and I pray that we get through it and you need to be patient, that the weight of Scripture is one way, is in one direction, is teaching us one thing. And we've got to go, if we're honest with the Lord, with the weight of the Word of God, not with our culture, not with their Jewish culture, not with the Romans. You know, it was said in reading for this that, and I, I find it hard to believe, that the Romans didn't, because they were so strict on the family to start with, not at the end, they were very loose at the end, they didn't have a divorce for 500 years. And they're not saved. And I, I sort of, wow, I don't know, I'd have to check that one out. But in their, in their strictness and their upholding marriage, uh, and, I, and I can't even say where I read that quote from. Mark chapter 10, verse 11. This is a hard subject and one that needs to be spoken of in our day. Verse 11 reads, And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. So here, Mark calls all remarriage after divorce adultery, whether it's the husband or the wife who is doing the divorcing, the guilty or not so guilty, as people say. This text repeats the first half of what we read in Luke 16, 18, but goes a step further and says that not only the man who divorces, but also the woman who divorces and then remarries is committing adultery. It adds both into the equation here in the Gospel of Mark. Let's go to Mark back in verses 2 and following. We'll go backwards a bit in that verse there. And also in Matthew 3, we'll be going there in a moment. Mark 10 and verse 2. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Tempting him. And he, said, and he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered a man to write a bill of divorce, divorcement and to put her away. But Jesus answered and said unto them, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. What were they referring to? What portion of scripture were they referring to? Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4. It's a familiar text for those who've studied the scripture. On what does God say? But from, notice what the Lord did, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain but one flesh. What, God, what therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. And so this is the portion here. And in Matthew that we've already read to start with, 19, 3 to 8, teaches that Jesus rejected the Pharisees' justification for divorce from Deuteronomy that they used and reasserted the purpose of God from creation when God created mankind and created man and woman and put them, brought them together. 
Um, in both Matthew and Mark, the Pharisees came to Jesus, as it reads in the scripture, tempting him. Whether it's lawful for a man to divorce his wife, asking him this question and tempting, trying to ensnare him. And when he said the first part of what he said in both Matthew and Mark, they thought, that's exactly what we want you to say, because now we've trapped you. <laughs> Never trap the Lord. You, can't, you cannot do that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> they, they, when they asked this question of the Lord, evidently had in mind that passage from Deuteronomy 24. And we'll get there in a bit. Which simply describes divorce as a fact rather than giving legislation in favour of it. Which even Christians today go back and say, look, it, and, and, and they do what the Pharisees did. So it gives us justification because Moses said so. It's permitted, but it's not prescribed. There's a probability, but it doesn't give permission. Back there in Deuteronomy. They wonder, the Pharisees, how Jesus will take a position with regard to his, his, this passage. There's a lot of other things come to my mind. I have just to leave <laughs> about the different, the different and conservative groups in the Lord's Day and the more loose people in the Lord's Day in interpreting Scripture. They were both there. And, and, and when Jesus was answering, both of them were in the groups before him and so one group was going to get him in trouble with the other group and the other would get him in trouble with the other group. <laughs> it depends on his answer. But our, the Lord is the Lord and he knew how to answer. And <clears throat> Jesus' answer is, because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses allowed your, you to divorce your wives. And that's in Matthew 19 and verse 8. But then Jesus criticizes the Pharisees failure to recognize in the books of Moses God's deepest original intention for marriage. So he quotes passages earlier in the book of Genesis. Genesis 1.27, God made them male and female. And chapter 2 of Genesis verse 24, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. They too shall become one flesh. And so from these passages, back in the book of Genesis, Jesus concludes, they're no longer two, but one. And then he makes a, his, a statement of climax there, what therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. As I said earlier, he goes back to where it was first talked about. Go back to what God thinks of this on this matter. How God made mankind and what he knows is best for mankind. As I say, he, we go back to the manufacturer's instructions. <laughs> Going back to the word of God. The implication, implication is that Jesus rejects the Pharisees' use of Deuteronomy 24 and raises the standard of marriage for his disciples to God's original intention back in Genesis. Back to Genesis. I know John, when I've talked to him on occasion. <laughs> his his favourite was back to Genesis, one flesh. <laughs> one flesh. He says, the Lord says, we should not try to undo what God has done up because that is not on. And to do so is to disobey God for the unity that he's brought about and the purpose for marriage in life. You know, 
what we see in our Western society today is a result of man rejecting what God has laid down in his law and all the mess. And in our Western society, we say, well, we'll just educate them. We'll, we'll teach them this and we'll do sex education and we'll do this, what thing in the schools they were talking about? These new laws I want to bring in, safe schools program, disaster to bring that sort of thing in. And, and we'll teach them earlier. And did you see or hear this week that a four-year-old was sending text naked to other people? I mean, this, this child has not been to school. But she, or I think a girl, must have learnt it from her brothers and sisters that were. And this, you know, what pedophiles would like that to happen? They all would. And it, you know, we are going so far from God's law, our society will fall apart. And it is. And, it, and, and every society, as you look back into history, every culture has fallen apart that has not based their belief on the clear teachings of scripture. And, and as <clears throat> Brother Walker, you said some years ago that there was a couple in Albury-Wodonga wanting to get married that had been separated, divorced. And they looked everywhere for someone, a preacher of a church, to unite them to do the what is it, marriage celebrant job. They couldn't find any but they did find one up in Mount Beauty that would do that. Now, if you went to Albury Wodonga and to all the churches, you'll find, well, as far as I know, one that will say no and everyone else will marry you. And with, this, with the same-sex marriage, it's going to increasingly become where churches fall into line with culture and say, yes, we'll do it. When the Bible says no, when God says no, who are we to obey? Back, back on to this thought here. Before we jump to the conclusion that this absolute statement should be qualified in Matthew in view of the exception clause. I know even talking amongst independent Baptist pastors where we had this debate. Some went that way and some went this way. They all went back to this one, the exception clause, except for fornication mentioned in Matthew 9.9, 9, which we'll deal with a bit later, we should seriously entertain the possibility that the exception clause in Matthew 19.9 should be understood in light of the absolute statement in Matthew 19 and verse 6, let no man put asunder. Understand the exception clause in light of the, the clear statement that's given earlier, especially since that the, verse that, the verses that follow this conversation with the Pharisees in Mark 10 do not contain any exception when they condemn marriage. And that you have to understand, Matthew wrote to the Jews, Mark to the Romans, Luke to the Greeks, and the Gospels that you have there. That's why we've got the Gospels the way they are. Huh. The synoptic Gospels, we call them. Let's turn to Matthew 5 and 32. We'll be back to Matthew 19 in a bit. Matthew 5, 32. We want to teach our young people that if they're going to commit to marriage, they're going to commit for how long? For life. It's for life, folks. And you know, you don't... It, 
when you're younger, you don't think of the seriousness of it, but it should be to the, up to the counsellors who are giving premarital counselling to young people that they emphasise this is for life, this is serious. I love it when I hear at a wedding the father or the, 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 the parents of the married couple get up and say this is for life. <laughs> There's no turning back. And that should be said to your young people, to your children, before they marry. So they know it's just, it's just not, well, something light we do, just like another decision. It's an important long-term decision. Matthew 5 and verse 32. Um, <clears throat> but I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her, that is divorce, committeth adultery. This verse does not teach that remarriage is lawful in some cases. Rather, it reaffirms that marriage after divorce is adultery, that it says in the, in the verse, in the text. Even for those who have been divorced, so said innocently. And that a man who divorces his wife is guilty of the adultery of her second marriage unless she had already become adulterous before she divorced. That's what that verse is saying. Now there's a lot to take in here and it might be hard, but try to stick with it and understand the scripture that's before us. Jesus assumes that in most situations in that culture, a wife who has been put away or divorced by a husband will Draw, be drawn into a second marriage. Remember the culture. In that day, there was no social security. There was no office down there you could go and get money from to support yourself. And in spite of the pressures, the, the Lord Jesus here called this second marriage adultery. He, he was standing up before the public. This is all new teaching. This was hard teaching to receive by the people that he talked to. And the remarkable thing about the first half of this verse in Matthew 5.32 is that it, it, it plainly says that the remarriage of a wife who has been innocently put away is nevertheless adultery. This is a clear statement that remarriage is wrong not merely when a person is guilty in the process of the divorce, but also when a person is innocent in that. In other words, Jesus' opposition to remarriage is to be based on the unbreakableness of the marriage bond by anything, as the scripture says, but by death. And we'll save our explanation of the exception clause in Matthew 19, 9 for a little bit later. But for now, it may suffice to say that traditional interpretation of the clause, it simply meant, means that a man makes his wife an adulteress except in the case where she had made herself one prior. And then <clears throat> I would assume that since an innocent wife who is divorced commits adultery when she re remarries, therefore a guilty wife who remarries after divorce is all the more guilty. And if one argues that this guilty woman is free to remarry while the innocent woman has to be, who has been put away is not, just because the guilty woman's adultery has broken the one flesh relationship, then one is put in the awkward position of saying, 
an innocent divorced woman, you can now commit adultery, or if you now commit adultery, you're lawful to marry another one. And that just does not wash. That just does not, it's not true. It cannot be so. That just is a foolish way to think. It seems, <clears throat> well, let's go to the next portion. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7 verses 10 and through to 11. I've heard excuses of, as we read these portions and as you read the Romans chapter 7, 1, well, that was just an example. I said, yeah, well, very good example <laughs> as, you, as we get to reading in that. In chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians and verse 10, and we'll be back to this portion a few times. Paul said, unto the married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let, the, let not the wife depart from her husband. But if it... But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled unto her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. And so this teaches that divorce is wrong. But if it is inevitable because unsaved, a person might become a Christian within the marriage, after the marriage, or they might have married an unsaved person, and that it's inevitable that they may be divorced, they should not remarry. They should not go ahead and do what Scripture forbids in this, in this portion of Scripture. When Paul says that this charge is not his but the Lord's, I think he's referring back to the portions of Mark and Luke that he, he, he'd previously said, that the Lord had said, previously said, and he's referring back to them. And he's saying almost the same thing in verses, these two verses, 10 and 11, as what the Lord said back in Mark and Luke. And Paul seems to be aware that separation will be inevitable. And that does happen in our society, doesn't it? Perhaps he is in mind a situation of an unrepentant adulteress or desertion or brutality. Where it's, it's, it's not safe to live in that situation, but to go, to leave. In such a case, he says that that person who feels constrained to separate because of the danger of living within that marriage should not get remarried or seek to be re remarried, but remain single. This is what he's saying in 1 Corinthians 7. And so Paul's interpretation of Jesus' sayings is that marriage, remarriage should not be pursued on this person's part. And the three portions, Luke, Mark, and Matthew 5.32, the text does not explicitly entertain the possibility of any exceptions through a prohibition of, of remarriage. People say, well, the people of that day would have just assumed that that was possible. <laughs> no, it doesn't entertain the thought even in those portions. 1 Corinthians 7.39, if we go down to that portion, or that one, one verse. And the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to another, whom she will, only in the Lord. And keep that in, keep your hand there and go over to Romans 7 and verses 1 to 3. <clears throat> 
Well, back to Romans 7. Head the right way. We read, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. And some people say, see, it's just referring to the law as using an illustration. Well, a very good illustration it is. And then we read verse 2, For the woman who hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is freed from the law, uh, law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another. And so the verse 39 in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians and Romans 7, 1 to 3, teach that remarriage is legitimate only after the death of a spouse. That is clear statements from these two portions we've read. And both of these passages say explicitly that a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. No exceptions are mentioned here that would suggest she could be free from her husband to remarry on any basis whatsoever. Let's go back to Matthew 19. This is the seventh one. We're getting through. I don't want to look at my clock. And um, I said to Tony before we started, this is probably not normal, and it's not going to be a normal service to be able to get through this and put it in to its context. You we come next week, we'll lose the train of thought that's been picked up as we go through the portions. Matthew 19, and the, the portion we read, and verse 10 and 11 <clears throat> and 12. The disciples say unto him, If the case of a man be so with the, his wife, it is not good to marry. Now, I don't hear any young people saying, Wow, it's so strict. I shouldn't get married because I want out somewhere. We have these prenuptial agreements that people... <laughs> I don't know if the marriage celebrants give it to them or whether the government say you can provide these where you can, if you know, write this up in case it, this thing doesn't work. And then we can get off the hook and, 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 and you, go, you can have half, you can have the kids or you can have the boys and I'll have the girls and all this, you know, working it out before it even has started. That's a seed for division, isn't it? <laughs> That's seed to, to mess the thing up before it even starts. It's getting the idea in your head, I can get out of here. And uh, no, we shouldn't even entertain the idea. And uh, the apostles are saying, oh boy, I was thinking of getting married next week, but I don't think I will now. This is serious business. <laughs> but he said unto them, all men cannot receive this saying. And we read this one a little bit earlier. And this, this, these verses here teach that special Christian grace is given by God to Christ's disciples to sustain them in singleness when they renounce remarriage according to the law of Christ. That's what the Lord is saying. He will give strength. And just preceding this passage in Matthew 9, 19, I mean 19, 9, Jesus prohibited all remarriage after divorce. 
And as I said, we'll get to the exception for except for immorality in a minute. And this seemed like an intolerable position to Jesus' disciples. This can't be so. You can't make it so strict. They wouldn't have reacted this way if he had made it easy, according to their culture, to get divorced and remarried. They reacted this way because he, they knew and understood what he said. There's no getting remarried. You've got to stay with the person you get married to for your life. Closed off all and every possibility of getting remarried. And it makes it so risky that you'd better not marry. And this is what they were thinking. Since you might be marrying the person that you get trapped with. I think no, no person, well, maybe there are some, that would go to marriage thinking this is a trap. Did you think that when you got very married? No? <laughs> Good. I looked at my wife. <laughs> no, it's not a trap. It's not a snare. It's not a... <laughs> it's not a jail. <laughs> it's, voluntary. it's voluntary. It's willing. It's done from the basis of love. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I, uh, in fact, I don't know that I've met young people that would say, I just want to stay single. They would, most people would like to get married, would they not? <laughs> and have the right idea of marriage. And don't call it a trap and a snare. And Jesus does not deny the tremendous difficulty of his commandment. Instead, he says in verse 11 that the enablement to fulfillment, to obey the command, is a divine gift given to stay as you are single to serve the Lord. Just as Paul said, Paul said, I could be like Peter and lead about a wife all over the world or the known world, but I haven't done that. And uh, he probably thought and wished sometimes he could, but he didn't. And he, he, he was, yeah, he's married to the Lord, of course, as every Christian is. But at times there were times of loneliness. But can you imagine wives being led around by Paul and the places he went? He, he went to some very dangerous places. He deliberately went into those places. He went into synagogues on a Saturday to preach the message to the gathered people and usually got thrown out or stoned or yelled at or tried, they were laying in wait for him to capture him and kill him. It'd be very hard to be led a wife or lead a wife into those situations. So the Lord didn't deny the difficulty, but he would give the enablement um, <clears throat> in the situation. Jesus is not saying that some of his disciples have the ability to obey his commands and not to remarry and some don't. He wasn't saying that. He is saying that the mark of a disciple is that they receive a gift of continence or abstinence or control while non-disciples don't. But disciples do or can receive that gift. Deuteronomy now, back to the Old Testament, chapter 24. Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4. <clears throat> when a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favour in his eyes because he hath found some uncleanliness in her, then let him write a bill of divorcement and give it into her hand and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of the house, she may go <laughs> and be another man's wife. And she will go and marry. That's what it's saying. 
not may. It's not to permission. And this is where the Pharisees got that wrongly interpreted. And if the husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement and giveth it into her hand and sendeth her out of his house, or if the later husband die who took her to be his wife, her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife. After that she is defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. You see, oh, you say that was Old Testament. That sort of thing wouldn't happen today. Ask Pastor. Um, oh, he comes here. <laughs> He's not here today. McConnell, thank you. <laughs> Most obvious name. <laughs> Ask Pastor McConnell, and he had to go through that. And it was affected by something that uh, Pastor did here, that he had to stand up and say no down there. And this is, you're talking almost 45 years ago, a long time ago, <laughs> and uh, that he had to stand up and say, no, look, you can't get remarried to your former husband because you've been remarried in between. And you see, the divorce and remarriage was out of control in Moses' day. And so he's giving some regulations, laying down some laws here to stop this happening as lightly because they could, they could use this as a form of what you, uh, the harlotry where they could marry the woman for the weekend. Oh, she burnt the toast. Out of here. That's all they wanted. And they want to get out of it. Easy and simple. And there was laws laid down and it was getting that way in their, in their social order there. So <clears throat> here's some mentions of that. Um, a wife returning is prohibited from returning to her first husband even after a second husband dies where in other cases if the husband dies, a person get, can get remarried. And this suggests very strongly that today no second marriage should be broken up in order to restore a first one. You say, oh, you disagreed with second marriages. <laughs> no, if that has happened without, with, with wrong counsel that you've gone and got remarried, and there is the answer to that, we may get it in tonight. First Corinthians 7.15, back to 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 15. I hope I'm not getting you more confused than when you came in. But go back and read these portions of scripture yourself. 1 Corinthians 7.15. <clears throat> and as I said, we take portion, a verse here, a verse there and go back to it. And we read here in 7 verse 15, But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. This is a situation that that the two can't live together, there's just too many problems, and, uh, and that can be a Christian, non-Christian, it might be too Christian, it shouldn't be, but it could be. But if the unbelieving depart, and he's talking about unbeliever here, <laughs> let him depart, a brother or sister is not under bondage in such a case, but God hath called us to peace. This passage does not mean that when a Christian is deserted by an unbelieving spouse, he or she is free to remarry. It doesn't mean that. It means that the Christian is not bound to fight, bound to fight in order to preserve the togetherness of the marriage. Separation is permissible if the unbelieving partner insists on that. You can't make it work if they don't want to make it work, can you? And there are several reasons why the phrase is not bound in verse 15 
should not be construed as, well, I'm free to marry, remarry now. <laughs> Marriage is an ordinance of creation binding on all who enter into it, whether they've got faith or no faith, Christian or non-Christian in other words. The use of the word bound there in verse 15 is the word doulo. It's not the same that's word that's used in verse 39 of the same chapter, the wife is bound. You, we read the English and, oh, same word, must mean the same thing. <laughs> because, no, they're different words. The wife is bound, deo, to her husband, D-E-O, to her husband as long as he lives. Paul consistently used deo when speaking of the legal aspect of being married in a true marriage, <laughs> you'd say. When he refers to the deserted spouse back in verse 15, the word bound is a different word there. And so it's doulo, which would, we would expect him to use if he's talking about two different situations. One is bound not to try to keep the marriage together in verse 15, not to, not to slave to do it, but the one who is bound to the wife, a wife, is, yes, bound for life in that. Uh, he's not bound to make war and try to make it work. In f there's all things in our, in our society today. If a person, if a man leaves his wife and the, and the wife has the children, then the law says that that husband should support the children. I think, so. yes, it should be so. But... That there's a lot of legal things, I mean, biblical things that we don't, you don't have to try to be there and support and do all the things a husband or wife should if the unsaved person wants out of this situation. Um, we'll move on to the next one. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 27. Go back down to those verses. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loose from a wife? Seek not a wife. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. But I spare you, I spare you, said Paul here. Does not teach the right of divorced persons to remarry, as some try to say so. If you read it on the surface, it might look like that. But it teaches that betrothed virgins should seriously consider a life of singleness but do not sin if they marry. That's what these verses are saying here. Some people have argued that this passage deals with divorced people because Paul in verse 27 says, Are you free, literally loosed from a wife? Some have assumed that this means, are you divorced? And it doesn't. Thus he would be saying in verse 28 that it's not sin when people divorce divorced remarry and that's not what he said in other portions it's not what he says in verse 39 he wouldn't contradict himself with some of these things it's if plain sense makes common sense seek no other sense for all other sense is nonsense okay as you read through it and he wouldn't be saying okay here and later in the chapter or early in the chapter no it's not okay it just would, he wouldn't be able to say that sort of thing. He would, have, he would have no integrity if he said that and operated that way. 
Um, in verse 25, notice this clarifies the situation in verse 26 to 28. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord. What has he just done here? He's changed subject from speaking about people that have got problems in their marriage to talking to single people, virgins, people who are not married. And so that's the subject. You've got to keep that in mind as you read through the verses there following. Um, <clears throat> I'm skipping some here to get, to get through. Let's go back to the exception clause. Well, stay here. Verse 27, just for a minute. Verse 27, Art thou bound unto a wife, and this is in 1 Corinthians 7, Art thou bound to a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loose from a wife? Seek not a wife. Being bound to a wife may be, um, may be misleading because it may suggest that a man is already married. But in Greek, the word for wife is simply woman here. War, sorry, is simply woman, not here and may refer to a man betrothed as well as his spouse. The context dictates that a reference is to a man betrothed, man's betrothed virgin, not to his spouse. So being bound and being loosed have reference to whether a person is betrothed or, as we say today, engaged or not, in reference to the verse here. It's significant that Paul uses the word for loosed, luo, or free, is not a word that he used for divorce in this context in verse 27. Now, Matthew 19, 9. Matthew 19, 9. And this is the one that most people say who are in the situation, whether it be family, friend, or themselves, they would like to justify people being remarried. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife except it be for fornication, and marry another, committeth adultery. But whosoever marrieth her who is put away, doth commit adultery, or and whosoever. This does not imply that divorce on account of adultery frees a person to remarry. People have said to me, this is my out. That, that three words there, this is my out. This is the way I'm getting out of my previous marriage and into another. When all the weight of Scripture, the New Testament, is against them, and they've even said so, that all of the other verses say I can't, but this one says I can. Um, all the preceding points that we've looked at, all the Scriptures, are against remarriage, and they say this one is not. And so I'm allowed to do this. All the broad teaching of the word. I know Pastor Hines said, remember a panoramic view of scripture is necessary to discover the truth of any topic. And that's true. Look at all the scripture. Scripture will always be consistent. It won't say yes here and no there or condone it and condemn it in different portions of scripture. This verse teaches that except for fornication, and this does not refer, look at it, verse 9, it does not refer to adultery, but, but to premarital sexual fornication, which a man or woman discovers in a betrothed or an engaged partner. And I've had that happen, where an engaged couple found out before their marriage. I've had it 
in the church here where uh, a couple just got married and found out the infidelity of their partner, the man, the woman found out about the man just after they got married, that he'd been unfaithful all through their engagement. And she was, she was just torn apart. She thought she was loved. She thought she was the only one. And it was not so. And um, it happened, and I don't know if anybody can remember, but she came crying up the pathway there. It was before the, the ramp was in. Really upset. Very hard to console someone in that situation that's been engaged and thought they were faithful. There are numerous other ways of understanding this verse which exclude the legitimacy of remarriage from this verse. Um, <clears throat> here is a simple, brief summary of this verse. The absolute form of Jesus' denunciation of divorce and remarriage, Mark and Luke, is not preserved by Matthew. Then why not? If in fact his ex exception clause is a loophole for divorce and remarriage. The assumption that so many writers make that Matthew is simply making explicit statements that would have been implicitly understood by the hearers is not true. <laughs> he, <coughs> you know, he's, the other guys didn't write it because they just would have understood that's the way it is. No. Matthew's making these, he's make, and particularly Matthew, Remember Matthew was written to who? Jewish people. And so he's sorting out what they thought on remarriage and divorce. That's what he's talking to them. <clears throat> Would they really have assumed that those absolute statements, including exceptions, I don't, I have a doubt. Therefore, the inclination is Matthew's exception clause conform, conforms to the absoluteness of the other gospels, Mark and Luke. Something else here, we can ask, why does Matthew use the word pornea in the use here for fornication in the middle of verse 9 instead of the word mochia? And uh, a Greek scholar will correct me on the pronunciation of that, which means adultery. Almost all commentators seem to make the simple assumption that pornea means adultery in the context here. They just assume that, and it's not so. The question ought to make us ask why Matthew would not use the word adultery if that's what he meant. He's using the word fornication, pornea, instead. The only other place beside Matthew 5.32 and Matthew 9.19.9 9, where Matthew uses the word pornea is Matthew 15.19. Let's go there. Matthew 15.19. And he's using these alongside each other, these two words, pornea and mokhaya, or whatever, <laughs> the Greek word for adultery. Matthew 15, 19, we read there, For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications. He distinctly makes them separate things. Matthew knew that he was writing. He was writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And so the primary contextual evidence for Matthew's usage 
is that he conceives pornea as something different from adultery. And this means that Matthew conceives pornea in its normal sense of fornication or incest, as given in 1 Corinthians 5.1, rather than adultery. Thus, we cannot get away from the fact that the distinction between what was in what was to be regarded as pornea, fornication, and that which was to be regarded as adultery was very strictly maintained in Jewish literature and in Matthew's writings here. In the New Testament, pornea may, of course, denote different forms of forbidden sexual relationships, but we can find no examples of the use of the word to denote a wife's adultery. And that word is the word that people hang their hat on and hang their divorces and hang their remarriage on. And it's not the word for adultery. It's the word pornea. And <clears throat> we go a little bit further to that. Um, unchastity that is referred to in the word fornication or pornea in, in this passage, back to Matthew 9, 9 19.9, the word fornication there is something that was used at other times as well by Matthew. Let's go to John's Gospel, chapter 8 and verse 41. John's Gospel, chapter 8 and verse 41. <clears throat> I would like to say I'd like to stop now. <laughs> but follow through and see what we come to. <clears throat> Matthew eight forty one. <clears throat> we read this. <clears throat> Ye do the deeds of your father, then said they unto him, We are not born of pornea. This is the Pharisees' religious leaders saying to the Lord Jesus, You're born of fornication. It was the unchastity of, unchastity of your mother <clears throat> by which you were born. You had not come together with your husband, and so you have committed pornea. And this word is used here in relation to a person that is betrothed but not married. That's the key to understanding this. It's the word fornication. It's the word there used by Matthew. In, in that portion in John 8.41, the Jewish leaders... No, <clears throat> which one did we look at? That one? Yes, it was. John 8.41, Jewish leaders indirectly accuse the Lord of being born of fornication. And that is saying Mary wasn't married, Mary was in engagement, Mary was betrothed, and uh, she's done something, and then this is a result. Let's go back to, well... Refer back to Matthew 1, verse 18 and 20. Matthew re Matthew's record of Jesus' birth in verses 18 to 20 is extremely enlightening as we consider it. In these verses, Joseph and Mary are referred to as husband and wife, yet they are described as only being engaged or betrothed. And this is probably owing to the fact that the words for the husband, for husband and wife are simply man and woman, and to the fact that betrothal was much more significant than it is today, a much more serious commitment. 
In verse 19, Joseph resolves to divorce Mary, though they were only engaged or betrothed. And the word for divorce is the same word as the word in Matthew 5.32 and 19.9. But most important of all, Matthew says that Joseph was just in making a decision to divorce Mary on account of her supposed pornea or fornication. Therefore, as Matthew proceeds to contrast the narrative of his gospel, he finds himself in chapter 5 and then later in chapter 19 needing to prohibit all remarriage after divorce as taught by Jesus. And yet, to allow for divorcees like divorces like the one Joseph contemplated toward his betrothed, whom he thought guilty of fornication, pornea, therefore Matthew includes the exception clause in Matthew 19.9. And that's why it's there and only why it's there. In particularly to exonerate Joseph, Matthew included that. He was just in seeking to be divorced from Mary because she had done something that was wrong and committed pornea. Um, <clears throat> and there it is. Let me... The interpret, interpretation of the exception clause has several advantages of this interpretation of looking at it as pornea before actual marriage. And this is the only time that one could divorce is before the marriage. Before and after it, it, it would be adultery. Um, <clears throat> it does not force Matthew, this is the conclusions or the this interpretation of the exception clause has several advantages. The advantages, it does not force Matthew to contradict the plain teachings of Luke and Mark and the whole range of, from Romans and Corinthians of New Testament passages and teaching. Um, it provides an explanation for why the word pornea is used in Matthew's exception clause instead of machia for adultery. It squares with Matthew's own use of pornea for fornication in Matthew 15:19 and fits the demand of Matthew's wider context concerning Joseph's Joseph's contemplated divorce. Conclusions in the New Testament the question about remarriage after divorce is not determined by and I remember in Bible college arguing with fellow students the guilt or the innocence of either spouse. And I was tending to go that way. I said, yeah, one's guilty, one's not. And it's never so. It's all are guilty to some degree, but it's not determined by the guilt or innocence of a spouse, nor by whether either spouse is a believer or not. And that I, I thought through that too. <laughs> nor by whether the divorce happened before or after either spouse's conversion nor by the ease of, or difficulty of living a single parent for the rest of one's life on earth, nor by whether there is adultery or desertion involved, nor by the ongoing reality of the hardness of the human heart, and nor by the cultural permissiveness of the society in which we live. Rather, it's determined, that is, the New Testament in question about marriage, remarriage after divorce, is determined by the fact that marriage is a one flesh relationship divinely established by God for life. In the eyes of God, it, you are always married to that person. Only God, not man, can end 
that one flesh relationship. And this is why remarriage is called adultery by the Lord Jesus. He assumes that the first marriage is still binding. God ends the one flesh relationship of marriage only through death. Thirdly, that is, and the death of one of the spouses. The grace and power of God are promised, as we've looked at, and sufficient to enable a trusting divorced Christian to be single all his earthly life if necessary. Temporal frustrations, fifthly, and disadvantages are much to be preferred over the disobedience of remarriage of a, of a divorced person and will yield lasting joy and everlasting reward for those that go that way. <clears throat> for those who are already remarried, there are other questions. Um, they should acknowledge that the choice to remarry and, and folk... Uh, <laughs> When, it, <clears throat> when I make and have made decisions in the church, people come and say, well, you've got such and such, and those are they're people in your church and they're members, and they are allowed to continue and do things in the church. Yes, we do. <laughs> but they, they should acknowledge that the choice to remarry and the act of entering a second marriage was sin, and to confess such and seek forgiveness. If in the future people in the church seek for membership or in, in, in this church and others that are sound who believe in remarriage then they need to understand that we don't and cannot accept people into membership who don't recognize that because it will divide and eventually split the church it's unscriptural you say you're unloving I say it's the Bible. I have to go by what God has said. We have had people come in and we didn't know <clears throat> that they were remarried and they didn't know, we didn't believe that a person shouldn't be remarried. <clears throat> and all sorts of fur and feathers flew. <laughs> and it was hard to go through that. And I remember phone calls that come up, did you know? Oh, not another one of those phone calls, please. <laughs> That they, but folks, and, and <clears throat> one, one person was so convicted about it that they remarried after they were divorced. They come to me and said, Pastor, I will leave my wife and I'll buy the house next door and we'll live like that. I said, no, you don't have to do that. <laughs> Jesus said, thou hast had five husbands. He just said, thou hast had five husbands. <laughs> and the one you have got now, you're not married to. And so what is he saying? Recognize your sin. Confess your sin. Get it right. And then go on with life. But there are some things you cannot do as a Christian within the church if that is your situation in life. But recognize it and ask for forgiveness. And uh, we should not attempt to reunite with our former Spouse, that's forbidden back there if, back, if they get remarried. That's back in Deuteronomy 24. Young people, it might have gone over your head. Thanks for coming tonight. <laughs> but listen, if you want to know more details, 
read on read it up before you get before you get married before you find the one you think is for life study it out you do not want to go into marriage and then get a divorce you do not there's so many complications with that that come there's so many hindrances to ministry there are so many hurts and heartaches you know nothing about even even as we speak these things are happening and i'm talking to people and and they're just that you know they just want to go out and finish it all i said no don't do that yeah that, that's how hard it is young people you you think oh I, I can get over it no you go through it you just want to finish life because it's so sad and it's so hard to go through these things and i i urge them to stay together but if they cannot first corinthians 7 separate but that's it you cannot get remarried and so think of it now if you say well i want to fire the pastor after this message fine i'll go on a holiday <laughs> but no it's the it's the word of god and just obey it and t parents teach your young people how serious this is young people listen to mum and dad listen to the word of god read some books i'll give you some books to read <laughs> there's different angles of looking at it but it comes to the same conclusion let's pray thank you lord for your word thank you for the patience the long sermon tonight lord for we we would love to be able to brief it down even further but lord help us to obey your word give strength to those that are in situations that are are lonely that hurt and lord encourage them and may we as fellow christians encourage somehow these people that are going through trying circumstances in their life lord you you have laid it down and it's for us to obey it and not to adjust it to our culture but adjust our culture to your word bless as we go our ways and have fellowship with one another and bless, Lord, as we seek to uphold your word in the perfect bonds of marriage and families and children. And, Lord, we are able to minister together to reach out to the needy people in our community. And bless in your name we pray and ask. Amen.